Cordelia the Magnificent by Leroy Scott, Chapter 1, Cordelia Faces a Problem. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Don Sutton. The four young women at the table in their secluded corner, all about twenty-two or twenty-three, made a group such as any illustrated Sunday supplement of a New York paper would have been exultantly proud to have starred in the very center of its page of society beauties. Small wonder, then, that the people at the other tables, in the big restaurant of the Grantham Hotel, stole glances at these four favorites of fortune, pointed them out to friends less well-informed, and gave gossipy facts in eager, subdued whispers. They had known each other all their lives, had these four, said the gossipy whispers, had gone to the same school, had been debutantes in the same season, had always done everything together. That one there... The vivid, sparkling beauty, with glinting reddish-brown hair, and with that pleasant, confident smile which showed that she was equal to anything? That was Miss Cordelia Marlowe, best known of the four, the most striking figure in society's youngest set. Didn't she really look everything that people in the papers said of her? Didn't she look that name which had somehow fastened itself to her, Cordelia the Magnificent? Just look at her, didn't she? The others, that spirited brunette, across from her was Mrs. Jacqueline Thorndyke, whose smart wedding two years before to Murray Thorndyke was still being talked about. And that vivacious little blonde was Mrs. Aileen Harkness, whose husband was that Peter Harkness, who was just now making a sensational splurge down in Wall Street. And that proud-looking girl, if she were arrogant, wouldn't any girl be so in her position, was Miss Gladys Norworth, an orphan these many years, and in her own right the richest girl of the group and one of the richest heiresses in America. But the one to look at was Miss Marlowe. Wasn't she a beauty? And just looking at her, couldn't you just see why she was so popular? So undeniably a leader in her own brilliant set? Cordelia sensed very well the substance of what these tables were whispering about her. She was accustomed to being admired, to being talked about, not only by a mixed crowd such as filled the Grantham, but by her own great world. Though the good-humored smile of her off-pictured face did not change under this present admiration, the face of her mind puckered into a wry, twisted smile at the irony of the situation. How very differently these people, and all the people who knew her, or knew of her, 
would talk when they learned all the facts. That morning, when the thing was fresh upon her, Cordelia's dazed impulse had been all for breaking this luncheon engagement. Jackie, Gladys, and Aileen, even though they had long looked upon her as their leader, could easily have handled all matters relating to the fifth reunion of the class of sixteen of fashionable Harcourt Hall. But Cordelia had wanted to see Jackie, her roommate at school, and closest friend during the years since then, and tell Jackie confidentially the stupefying, the unbelievable thing that had just befallen her. And being here, such was her control of herself, she was outwardly the charming, humorous, pleasantly confident Cordelia her friends had always known. All through the luncheon, the four girls, nicknamed in their first year at Harcourt the Faithful Four, had chattered about this and that, interrupting each other with the license of old friends. But it was not until after the finger bowls were before them that they really settled to the business that had brought them together. Of course, the biggest thing we've got to do is to pick the chairman for the class reunion, said Jackie Thorndyke. We know the person we want, and the person the whole class will want, Cordy Marlowe, and she's practically promised to serve. We're all agreed on that, yes? Of course, said pretty Aileen Harkness. The class would be sore at us if we dare pick anyone else. Cordy, of course, agreed Gladys Norworth. Then it's all settled, declared the brisk Jackie. And since that's about all the real business we have, I'm afraid it's not settled, strongly interrupted Cordelia. I suppose I should have told you before, but I didn't know the thing myself much before this. The fact is, I'm not going to be at the reunion. Not be there? The three chorused in dismay. Then Jackie demanded, What's the matter, Cordy? Why not? Cordelia's good-humored, ready smile did not change, except that there was now a provoking hint of mystery in it. I've suddenly changed all my plans, she answered. Changed your plans, cried Aileen. How? I'm not telling you just now, said Cordelia, still smiling. You'll all know all about my plans in a few days. Wait till then. You must have something big on, breathed Jacqueline. They did not question her further. They knew from old that there was no use quizzing Cordelia when she had announced she would give no answers. But they sensed mystery here, perhaps romance. Certainly something big, as Jackie had said. Certainly a surprise. Cordelia read what was passing in their minds, and again she smiled her wry inner smile. They would be surprised, all right. But what a different surprise from anything they might be imagining. But I say, Cordy, Gladys Norworth burst out in sudden concern, you promised to come out to my place right after the class reunion and stay for the summer.
Your new plan isn't going to interfere with that. I'm sorry, Gladys, but I'll have to call that visit off altogether. But, Cordy, when I planned... What is it, anyhow, that you're up to? Cordelia was still smiling. It's just as I said, Gladys. I can't say any more just now, and you'll know everything in a few days. There was a moment of surprised silence on the part of Jackie and Aileen. Gladys, having asked Cordelia out to Rolling Meadows, and Cordelia having accepted. Here was something else to wonder about. There was no further questioning of the smiling, enigmatical Cordelia about her altered plans, and the business of the committee of the fifth reunion of the class of 16 of Harcourt Hall went on and was quickly finished. The matter of the chairman was settled by the insistence that Cordelia accept the nominal chairmanship with Jackie as vice chairman, who would be prepared to assume all duties in case Cordelia really could not appear. Gladys and Aileen then departed on shopping expeditions, and at last Cordelia had her wish of being alone with Jackie. You certainly sprung a lot of surprises on us, Cordy, old dear, began Jackie. You needn't tell me a thing you don't want to, particularly about your changed plans. But Gladys asking you to come out to that big place of hers, that was certainly a jolt. Why, since she came back from France two years ago with her stepsister and that French war orphan, the two of them adopted, Gladys hasn't had a soul out to see her. That's exactly why she asked me, returned Cordelia. I don't know all Gladys's reasons, of course. She said her keeping to herself so much since she came back from France was the effect on her of her two or three years of war work in the hospital of that Countess Ducressy. So that's it. The way she's heard it to herself and behaved generally has had me guessing. Had all of us guessing. Gladys said she now believed that her keeping out of things had been bad for her, and from now on she was going to entertain a lot. She put it up to me as a favor, and said she wanted me out at Rolling Meadows to help put life into things. She certainly could not have asked anyone who could do the thing better, declared Jackie. At keeping a lot of guests in proper spirits, you're a world-beater. You're what might be called social insurance, Cordy. And certainly Gladys needs someone with that awful temper of hers and her conceit, both likely to burst out any time. But her picking you, Cordy? With her always having been jealous of you? And especially just now with the two of you? I guess I don't have to say that, Cordy. I suppose you're referring to Jerry Plimpton? Jerry Plimpton, yes. I spoke straight out to Gladys about that when we were all out at your place last week. We had a bit of a row, and she flared up about Jerry. 
just as nice as I could, I told her there was no sense in our fighting about Jerry Plimpton. I said I wasn't saying that I liked Jerry, or that she liked Jerry, and if Jerry liked either of us. That was pretty much his own affair, and I guess he'd make up his mind to suit himself. And I told her that if he made up his mind that he liked her, and if she liked him, I'd be right there saying, God bless you, my children. I went on and said a lot more things all along the same line. How did Gladys take it? You know how Gladys is. When she has a good impulse, it's as swift as her temper. She broke down, said she'd always resented me, because people liked me. That's why she's been so nasty. Said she had lots of acquaintances, but no girlfriends. Not a real girlfriend. And how she did need a girlfriend she could depend on. It all sounded mighty sincere. That was when she asked me to come and stay with her. Perhaps Gladys was sincere for that moment, said Jackie skeptically. But even so, she was unconsciously thinking of little Gladys. And if she wants a real girlfriend, one that she can depend on, how about that stepsister of hers? The little I've seen of Esther Stevens, she's always seemed to me a mighty decent sort, and the two used to be getting along together well enough for them to go to Paris the month after Gladys graduated to work in the hospital of that Countess de Cressy. I said much the same to Gladys. Her explanation was that there was too much difference in their ages for them to be real friends. I don't believe her. Gladys is 22 or 23, and her stepsister is only five or six years older. There's some other reason. I'll lay you a little bet on that. And as for you, Cordy, she's asked you out because she thought she could use you. And I'll bet it all has something to do with Jerry Plimpton. Cordelia still wore her smile. Whatever Gladys's real reasons may have been for asking me, I guess they don't make much difference at present, since I'm not going out to visit her. Suddenly Jackie's hand slipped across the tablecloth and gripped Cordelia's wrist. Speaking of Jerry Plimpton, she breathed. There, coming out of the grill room. Cordelia slightly turned her head. Jerry Plimpton's course lay past their table, but as yet he had not seen them. He was twenty-nine or thirty, tall, well-built, with high-bred, handsome features, easy confidence in his every movement, altogether an outstanding figure in any company. Since the death ten years earlier of his mother, who had admittedly been the social empress of New York City, there had been no more important question to ambitious mothers with queenly daughters than whom Jerry would select as his consort to try to fill, in her younger way, the place untented in society since his mother's death, and likewise fill the great house on Upper Fifth Avenue, the Newport House, 
and the other Plimpton places. Jerry sighted them and bore down upon their table with an eager smile. The greeting was that of old friends. If I didn't have a confounded business engagement with my lawyer, he grumbled pleasantly, I'd invite myself to sit with you for a while. If you did, I'd have to tell you you couldn't stay, returned Cordelia, for I'm having right now a confounded business engagement with Jackie, his gaze fixed on Cordelia. That sounds to me like an order to hurry along. All right, Cordelia, but I'll be seeing you tonight at the Grastons. I'm sorry, Jerry, but I won't be able to make it. I was going to phone you. She had promised him several dances for that night, and his face showed keen disappointment. Well, if you can't, you can't. Then I'm not to see you till that little party we've arranged for Friday night? I'll not be able to make that either, Jerry. I've just changed all my plans. Changed your plans, he exclaimed. In what way? She regarded him with her same easy, unperturbed smile. I can't tell you just yet, Jerry, but you'll know all in a few days. Puzzled, Jerry went on his way. You should have seen how the people in here were looking at you and Jerry while you were talking, whispered Jackie. All of them, including me, were saying just one thing. What a stunning couple they'll make. I'm backing you with all I've got against Gladys. And I, if I had anything to bet, returned Cordelia, would put it all on Gladys. Jackie stared at this. I wish those few days you mentioned were over so I could know what all this business is about. You won't have to wait, Jackie. My chief reason for coming here today was to get the chance to tell you at once what it's all about. Despite the privacy of their corner table, Jackie leaned far across and gazed breathlessly at her old roommate. Yes, she whispered. You must promise not to repeat a word of what I tell until it all becomes public. You can count on my promise, Cordy. Here goes, then. First of all, so you'll understand the full meaning of the thing, I'd better remind you how poor we are. These last ten years, since father's death, mother has had a mighty hard time to keep things going with Lily and me on her hands, and only a little over thirty thousand a year to do it all on. As for that, I guess things weren't a lot better when my father was alive or even in my grandfather's day. We Marlows never did have much money. Everybody knows you haven't much money, Cordy. That doesn't make any difference with such a family as the Marlows. It's enough for us all that you're just Cordelia Marlowe. There's not another girl who has your standing, your popularity, who gets the invitations you do. Cordelia smiled wryly half humorously. Perhaps you've never guessed it, Jackie, but my popularity has been part of my capital, 
those invitations a large part of my income. A weekend party, a yachting party, a guest at this house for a week, at that house for a month. I'm always booked up. I'm a successful guest. And I work hard at being a guest. That's been my business. Don't talk like that, Cordy. Everyone's always tickled to get you. I suppose they have been. At least I've tried to please. But if I hadn't taken my living expenses off Mother's hands in this way, I don't see how Mother could have managed at all these last five years. So much for that. Now come to the present situation. Here it is all at once, Jackie. We're wiped out, Jackie. Utterly finished. Finished? echoed Jackie. In what way? In every way. You mean especially, especially money? If we haven't any money at all, well, I guess money includes everything, doesn't it? Cordy, how did it happen? No use bothering you with many details. It's a common story anyhow. I'll bet that never before did so many families go on the rocks as in this awful year of our Lord 1921. I didn't know anything about our Mass till last night. Then Mother and I had a long session, and she told me some things she'd been keeping from me. With the high prices since the war, she found it harder and harder to live on our income. Result, she kept drawing on her capital by selling off bonds. Result of this was that the income from her remaining bonds was so inadequate as to make her feel they were hardly worth keeping. She saw only one chance. Desperate? she decided to sell the bonds and speculate. Mother picked out oil. And everything's gone. Everything, Cordy? Everything except a $2,500 annuity from one of my father's life insurance policies. Mother said she'd try to borrow. But nobody, not even old friends, would loan in such hard times without the best security. And of course, we haven't that. I'll loan you money, Cordy. Thanks. You're a dear, Jackie. If it were a small amount, I'd take you up. But nothing less than 30000 and 30000 every year, would be worthwhile. I wouldn't take that much from you, even if you could spare it. Cordy. Cordy, what will it mean? Isn't that pretty plain? As my mother put it last night, it means that the Marlows, one of the best families for generations, must necessarily sink out of their world into poverty and dingy obscurity. I'm sorry as for Lily. She's only 15 and was to have entered Harcourt Hall in September, but now Lily will never have a chance. As for myself, well, now you see why I can't be chairman of our class reunion, why I'm not going out to Gladys Norworth.
Why, I'd back Gladys against myself, so far as Jerry Plimpton is concerned. I'm out of my old world. Out of your world. Out of their world. Out of it forever. Cordy, breathed the dazed Jackie. Cordy, my God. Cordy still tried to smile into Jackie's staring face. But nonetheless, she was feeling something of the poignant dismay that had pierced her and dazed her when her mother had broken the news of a family disaster. She knew no other world except this into which she had been born. She loved it, and now she had lost it. She had indeed been a social star, and now all that glory was lost. She liked Jerry... Subconsciously, all her important plans had been basing themselves upon the growing possibility of being Mrs. Jerry Plimpton and of having the splendid position that would belong to his wife, and now she was out of his world, their paths were never crossed. Now all that was lost. I guess you realize now what it means, Jackie, Cordelia said mechanically. Then she added, The only reason for keeping the thing secret is my mother's wish. She feels the disgrace, and it's crazy to avoid it. Mother said that since the rent for our apartment is paid in advance until the 1st of July, it will be cheaper for us to live on there than any place else. She hopes there may be some kind of a chance that, that something may still turn up. And if something does, then the world need never know what's happened. She wants to keep the thing quiet on that chance. Jackie nodded. But you, Cordy, what are you going to do? I've thought it all out, and the only thing is for me to go to work. Work? Jackie was scarcely less horrified and sympathetic than at Cordelia's original announcement. Cordelia Marlowe, go to work? And then Jackie's face lit up. It might not be so bad after all, Cordy. It's something new. It might be an awful lark. What are you going to do? That's what I've been wondering about. Though I've not yet had time to do any real thinking. I'll tell you what, Jackie cried inspiredly. Let's have a look at the want columns of a newspaper. They tell me one can find everything in these want ads. For the moment, the vivacious Jackie had forgotten the seriousness of the situation and was seeing the affair as an exciting adventure into an unknown country. So when the waiter set down Cordelia's iced tea and her own horse's neck, she ordered him to bring in a newspaper. Jackie quickly swallowed two inches from her tall glass. A little something from the hip will pep this bolstered stuff up so I can do some heavy thinking, she whispered, and drew a silver flask from her handbag and filled her glass to the brim. This she stirred with a long spoon and sipped her reinforced beverage. Ah, that's something like, she sighed. Somehow my booze tastes a lot better these days since they've told me I can't have it. The waiter returned with the newspaper, 
and the next moment the two of them were scanning the columns headed help wanted female they finished these pleas for assistance and regarded each other glumly it was jackie who spoke the thought of each how monotonous nothing wanted but cooks maids scrub women nursemaids stenographers and still more cooks and maids not a thing that's in your line no simultaneously their eyes fell upon an adjoining heading positions wanted female again jackie had an inspiration i say cordy why don't you put in a wand ad for a position miss harcourt was always saying you were the best harcourt hall ever turned out that might be just the thing exclaimed cordelia then she asked advertising to do what well um well you're a wonderful dancer you know but not good enough to be a professional on the stage and i don't know how to be a teacher and i don't think i'd like to be one either well there's your swimming same answer jackie i don't know any girl who can sail a boat better than you same answer again there's your tennis don't some tennis clubs have professionals the same as golf clubs not women professionals there's no money in tennis for me you're a regular whiz at driving a car i've been in your roadster when you were coaxing over ninety an hour out of it how much demand is there for a woman chauffeur or should i say chauffeuse and with my record for arrest who would take me on as a careful family driver well but here jackie came to a pause i guess you get all of my situation now jackie yes jackie said slowly you're broke and you've got to earn money you've got every accomplishment but you can't do a damn thing that's useful not a damn thing that you can sell that's exactly my situation jackie and as you just said miss harcourt used to call me harcourt hall's best the two looked at each other solemnly even glumly for a long moment then a smile started on jackie's piquant face and slowly became a challenging grin what's up now jackie i dare you to do it do what i'll tell you in a minute cordy we've been following the wrong line how in trying to compete with these people jackie excitedly tapped the want columns they all either want to buy or sell the commonplace the useful what are some people often most eager to get and pay big money for uncommon things that are not useful diamonds for instance beginning to get the idea i'm beginning to get excited go on 
Don't advertise yourself as a lump of coal. Advertise yourself as a diamond. There's my idea. I dare you. A reckless gleam had flashed into Cordelia's eyes, and she laughed. Into the two girls had come the spirit of old. Again they were a couple of wild harem-scarum girls hatching an escapade at Miss Harcourt's. I'll not back down on a dare, cried Cordelia. I'll advertise, but I'll tell the exact truth. The more truth, the better. We'll not waste any time getting busy on this. Here, use the ads in this paper as a sample and dictate to me. I'll write the thing on the back of this menu card. I'm all set. Now shoot. Laughing at the absurdity, the daredeviltry of the enterprise, so much akin in spirit was the thing to one of their school-day larks, Cordelia began to dictate. After elaboration, condensation, revision, and frequent reference to the newspaper for the proper form, the completed bonnet on the back of the menu card read as follows. American girl, 23, strong, considered good-looking, best social standing, expert at swimming, riding, tennis, dancing, and can drive racing car. Has other accomplishments, but no useful training. Desires position with adequate remuneration. What have you to offer? Jackie summoned the waiter and paid the bill. Just so you won't have a chance to renege, Cordy, I'm going to take this right over to the Times and pay for it. Come on. Laughing, Cordelia followed Jackie out of the hotel and over to the Times office, where Jackie copied the advertisement upon the blank provided and handed it in. The clerk counted the words, added R113 times, and handed Jackie a slip of paper. This Jackie gave to Cordelia. There's your lottery ticket, old dear. R113. Sounds like a lucky number. The clerk said you might have a bunch of replies by Wednesday morning. You must tell me what happens. Jackie, you dear fool. You, nothing is going to happen. You just wait and see, prophesied Jackie. But even Jackie did not guess what a good prophet she was. End of chapter one.